Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. I want to begin this morning with a question, and I'll acknowledge fully up front that you might think this question is odd or strange or uh, something like that, but I hope you'll uh, uh, play along with me, if nothing else, and and consider this question because I think it's really important. The question is, do you believe that Jesus was and is intelligent? I don't know if you've ever sat and pondered that before. My guess is you've maybe never thought and wondered, you know, if Jesus took an IQ test, what he would, how he would uh, perform. But um, I think it's something important to consider. I'm not necessarily asking what do you think Jesus' IQ is, uh, but it's a question that's been rattling around my brain for the last few weeks. And the more I consider it, the more I think about it, the more significant I think it becomes. And so I think it's worth us taking the time to consider this morning. It's a question I came across a few weeks ago from the author Dallas Willard. He considers this question in a few different places in his, in his books. The place where I most recently came across it was in his book, The Great Omission. Do you think that Jesus was and is intelligent? Now that can be a tricky question, and, and so I want to I tread lightly so I don't get chased out of here as a heretic this morning. Maybe you hear that question and your immediate reaction is, oh, well, obviously. And, and I'll save us the trouble and say that, that the answer to this question is yes, uh, of course. Jesus was and is intelligent. But the way we reach that conclusion is important. Uh, maybe your reaction to that question is something along the lines of, well, you know, of course Jesus is intelligent. Jesus was, was God in the flesh. When, when you read throughout the Gospels, there's on multiple occasions where Jesus knows the thoughts of the person he is interacting with. Of course, obviously, Jesus is intelligent. And you're right with that. But I want to press on that just a little more because I think when we stop there with this question, we are at least in danger of simply saying uh, Jesus was intelligent because he is God. Which, which is, of course, true. Uh, but we need to be careful that we don't use that as a trump card or, or an excuse that simply sections off Jesus' intelligence to the realm of spiritual matters. Jesus only has authority on, on things not pertaining to the earthly world, earthly realm. And that is a component of what I'm trying to get at. But at the same time, I, I think Jesus gets at something more. Was Jesus... Is Jesus intelligent? When Jesus was on the earth in, in Palestine in the first century working as a carpenter, uh, was he wise? Did he have well-formed thoughts and ideas about the events of his day? Was he able to speak authoritatively on these matters? Or maybe if we can picture Jesus walking around the world in our day, uh, would he have good advice on how we should live and function in our society. If you were doing something vitally important like watch the Twins game and, and the Twins made a pitching change, would Jesus, is Jesus intelligent enough to be able to have thoughts on whether or not the Twins made the right move, bringing in the right relief pitcher? If you were looking for investment advice, would, would Jesus know enough about how the world works that you could go to him and he could give you investment advice that would be helpful? Is Jesus intelligent? Like I already said, the answer to that question is obviously yes. Jesus is fully God, 
fully man. He rules over all the universe, even right now. Of course he is intelligent. Of course he understands how the world works. I mean, if nothing else, he created this thing to begin with. But before you get annoyed with me for taking so long to answer a very obvious question, I hope you will pause and reflect on the implications of our answer to that question. If Jesus was and is intelligent, that means he has thoughtful, significant, and authoritative things to say about every realm of life, not just spiritual matters. Obviously, when you read throughout the Gospels, uh, Jesus does not cover every topic of human existence in his own day, or, even, or especially in our own day, uh, during his earthly ministry. No matter how many times you read through the four Gospels, read all about Jesus' ministry, you won't come across Jesus discussing how much screen time should be given to children or how we should set up retirement funds or any other thing in our world that we might want an expert's opinion on. But just because Jesus does not answer a matter directly, does not directly answer a question we might have, that does not mean he does not hold authority over it and is not capable of speaking into it. It's not just a matter of considering whether or not Jesus is smart or intelligent or something like that. It is, it is a matter of considering whether or not Jesus has authority. The purpose behind considering whether or not Jesus is intelligent is because if Jesus is intelligent, that means he should be listened to. That means he has authority over all areas of life, not just over the areas of life we can't figure out for ourselves. If we believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, that means we cannot simply relegate his authority just to this small circle of spiritual matters and just go to him like a guru when we have problems in life we can't figure out on our own. If Jesus is intelligent, he has things to say about our, the day-to-day -day of our lives. If Jesus is intelligent, he is qualified to weigh in on how we should parent, on how we should spend our money, on what jobs we should have and how we should go about doing those jobs. He is qualified to weigh in on where we should go on vacation, qualified to weigh in on how we look at every realm of our life, and even qualified to weigh in on how we view death. If Jesus is intelligent, he should be listened to in every realm of life. If Jesus is the Son of God, who came to this earth and died and rose from the dead, we cannot simply consider him a good teacher with thoughtful, interesting things to say that are, at the end of the day, one good option amongst many. We should look to him as someone with essential wisdom that holds authority over every realm of our existence. And that conviction was at the heart behind this, the series that we just completed, where we were considering difficult questions asked of our faith so that we could uh, engage our faith in the world around us, but because we, we want to do that well. And that conviction is also behind this series that we're starting today, although I think it's going to show up in a, in a different way. Today we're beginning, you can see on the screen, a new series called Jesus Stories. And we're going to be walking through these parables of Jesus. Uh, from now up until the Christmas season. So if you're the kind of person who's already on countdown for Christmas, let me give you a little bit of comfort. The next sermon series we'll do will be our Christmas series, so you can look forward to that. If you hate long sermon series, I don't know what to tell you. But, but that is our plan over the next few weeks. Uh, our goal over the summer and fall is to focus on the stories Jesus tells us, the parables, to teach us about who he is and the kingdom he has come to establish and one, and 
we want to look at these parables because they are so key over the course of Jesus' ministry, and we want to take them seriously. If you've been around church for very long, you maybe heard parables described as earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And that's a helpful definition as far as it goes, but, but I, don't, I don't think we should stop there because if we do, we, we run the risk of saying that uh, Jesus tells these stories and they're just kind of for way off in the future. They're not really relevant to our world. If, like we've already said, we are working from the conviction that Jesus is intelligent, that he holds authority to speak over every realm of our lives, that means that as we approach the teachings of Jesus, even those teachings that are presented to us as stories, we will find him speaking authoritatively to us. Just because truth is presented in a story does not mean it is somehow less of a truth. Jesus presents truth in all sorts of ways, one of the key ways is through the parables in order to draw us in as he communicates to us so we might have a clearer picture of what his authority looks like. And he reveals what life within his kingdom is meant to be. So that's where we're going to be going as a church over the next few months on Sunday mornings. We won't cover everything that might be considered a parable, partly due to time and partly because sometimes it's hard to delineate what is a parable and what isn't. But we want to work through these teachings that are essential to his ministry. And as we marinate in these teachings, I hope you will dig deep into what we find there. If you've been around church for very long, or even if you've just lived in this country for most of your life, my guess is there will be weeks where we will be covering a passage of Scripture where you will think, I've heard this before, can't we move on to something a little more serious? And when we're met with that temptation, my challenge to all of us, myself included, is to remind ourselves of this question I began with this morning. Is Jesus intelligent? Because that question is helpful for us for this passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at this morning and for this series as a whole. Because the parables are not just cute stories that are there to entertain us. They are wisdom for how to live well in this world as a member of God's kingdom in relationship with the one who rules all of creation. If we come to these stories with that lens, I think we find Jesus has a whole lot to say about all kinds of areas of our lives. If we will take the time to listen and think through what his authority looks like and how it works out in our lives. So as we kick off this series this morning, that's all the preamble, we're going to start the sermon now. Um, <laughs> we're going to be looking at a few verses out of Luke chapter 6, if you want to turn there in a Bible that you have in front of you or follow along with the words on the screen. And it's a parable that my guess is you might be familiar with, uh, but if you are familiar with it, you're probably more familiar with uh, this parable as it shows up in the Gospel of Matthew. In both Matthew and Luke, early on in the Gospel, we get these stories, we're told, of Jesus giving this long section of, of teaching that lays out as fully as he ever does what his kingdom is supposed to look like. In Matthew, it comes in chapters 5 to 7. You probably know it as the Sermon on the Mount. And Luke gives us something very similar in Luke chapter 6, except uh, the content's a little different, and we're told that it takes place on a plane. And they're, they're very similar sections of, of teaching, but they're different enough, and we're told about them taking place in different locations to where it seems like Jesus is presenting us two very similar teachings in two different contexts. Uh, but one of the common themes is that both of these sermons end with a dire call to take the teachings of Jesus seriously. 
Jesus presents that to us in this parable. He's just laid out what his kingdom is all about, and he makes it clear at the end. He's not here to make suggestions. He's making it clear that he should be listened to, and he's making it clear that when we listen to him, we will find life. Now, there's a lot of ways we could try to get our arms around this parable. There's a song to go along with that we could all sing this morning. I'm not going to make you do that. Uh, I had the idea that I was going to make some kids act this parable out for us this morning. I was going to have them build some things up here for us, but um, uh, it, planning kind of got in the way and different things. And really, the more I thought about it, the more it was just going to be me wanting to knock down something a child had built on this stage and figured that wasn't a great example to set up here. It might have been. It would have been funny. I can say that at least. But... Uh, what I want to do this morning is for us to reflect well on what Jesus has to say about a foundation. Uh, Jesus gets to the end of this sermon calling us to ground ourselves in him. The, the people listening to this sermon in Luke chapter 6, us as we listen to the words of Jesus today, Jesus is not content with us simply walking away from his teachings as a nice option amongst many. We're called to see that in Jesus, we ground ourselves in him. And when we do that, we find a firm foundation in the midst of the storms of life. I want to read for us Luke 6, verses 46 to 49. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. I find it really interesting that this parable is set up by this question from Jesus in verse 46. Why do you call me, why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? And since we don't usually call people lords in our day-to-day -day life, it might be helpful to hear how the Message Bible paraphrases this verse. You can see on the screen, it says, why are you so polite with me? Always saying, oh, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a thing I tell you. To call someone Lord in Jesus' day was to demonstrate you saw them as your superior, who was able to give you orders that you would then follow. It makes no sense to call someone Lord, to call someone Sir, to use the language from the Message Bible, and not do what they say. If someone is truly worthy of that title, if someone truly has authority, then it is not enough to simply pay them lip service. You respond to that authority. You don't just look at street signs as nice suggestions. You respond to their authority by driving in light of what they tell you to do. You don't, or maybe I should say you shouldn't, uh, react to a teacher or a boss or a parent by hearing what they tell you to do and then walking away and doing the exact opposite. If someone or something truly has authority over us, that will show itself through how we react, how we live, in light of what they've said. So as Jesus gets to the end of this sermon, he will not let us off the hook. He is not content to simply allow his audience to nod along with him and then meet him at the back door after church is over and tell him, those are some good words, and walk out and not be changed. 
Jesus requires a response, as he always does. And what he shows us through this story is that at the end of the day, there are really only two responses. He demonstrates this by talking about two men who go about building a house. The first man begins the process of building this house by digging down deep into the ground, which I know is common practice. I assume we're all familiar with that. But if you think about it, just on a surface level, it might seem a little counterintuitive. Uh, my, my parents began building the house that they still live in to this day when I was about four years old. And I can remember thinking it was a little weird when they started building that house because for a while all it looked like was that my dad had dug a giant hole in the ground. And obviously, you know, that's all the wisdom of a four-year-old, but it did seem a little strange. And over time, uh, you know, that, that hole in the ground got filled in with concrete and things got built on top of that and things got built on top of that and eventually... It was built into this house that is still standing today, uh, but it looked strange at the beginning. And the process looks a little different in the world of Jesus, but the the same thing is taking place. Uh, This wise man Jesus describes begins this process by digging down deep into the ground, laying a firm foundation on rock. Jesus is emphatic in how he describes it. If you notice there, he doesn't just dig a hole. He digs down deep. He lays the foundation on the rock and builds a home. And then later, a storm comes. Floodwaters rise. That can be a scary thing. Maybe it's just me, but anytime water is where it's not supposed to be, it makes you a little uneasy. And yet, for all the extra detail Jesus gives us about the foundation of this house, digging down deep, when the storm comes, there's not much to say. Uh, The house is barely even phased because it's well built. And then Jesus moves on to this second man. Uh, He doesn't have time to spare as he is building his house. He just throws something together. It's not worth the effort to dig down a, a, a firm foundation. Just throwing something together will be simple enough. And if you can picture it, Jesus doesn't necessarily say this, but if you can picture these two houses being built next to each other at the same time, it it might look like this second man has figured something out that the first one hasn't. I mean, he gets a head start on things. He doesn't waste all this time digging a foundation, doing all this stuff. He just starts building, just going up instead of digging down in the ground first. You can maybe picture that you know his family is is fully moved in while while the first house isn't anywhere remotely close to being finished just yet. And it would seem like maybe this second builder has figured something out. I mean, this was probably less expensive to build. It was probably more efficient. He probably saved time. Seemed like maybe he's got something going for him. A few years ago, I was hiking in a state park in Colorado with with some friends, and we. We got up to this lake that was kind of in, in a valley between two mountains. It was, it was the middle of the winter, or it, excuse me, it was the middle of November, not quite winter yet. It was, it was cool. It wasn't quite too cool. Just to give you some context for the temperature, Isaac would have been wearing flip-flops that day, so just a rough idea of how warm it was. And we get up to this lake, and we stand there for a little bit, and, and after a few minutes, I noticed that, that also there at the lake, there's some people there who were trying to set up a tent to camp there for the night, and they were having quite a bit of trouble getting their, their tent put together for a few reasons. The first problem they had run into was that uh, they didn't have any uh, place to put stakes down for their tent. They were just on this rock, and so they're trying to find a place to be able to you know, actually get their tent down secure into the ground, and there's just rocks everywhere. There's nothing for them to do. 
which was further complicated by their second problem, and that was that they were in a, on a lake, you know, in a valley between two mountains, and so the wind is just whipping down this valley, and I, we're watching them scramble, and every, it seems like every time they move, something else starts to blow away, and after a few minutes, I went over and, and, was, and said, you know, do you guys need help? You just need like an extra set of hands here for a few minutes to kind of hold, hold everything down while you get your tent built. And I remember they kind of looked at their stuff and they looked up at me and they said, you know, we're, we're starting to think maybe we're going to camp somewhere else tonight. <laughs> and as a rule of thumb, I try not to boss around strangers all that often, but I, I said, yeah, you know, that, that might be a good idea, I would think. Without any place to put down a foundation, in the face of the wind, they were in a world of trouble. And that's the case with this second builder. Sure, his home goes up quicker. It's, it seems to all come together more comfortably. But when the storms come, when the floodwaters rise, when the torrent strikes, there is no foundation to keep the house in place. In the original language, Jesus says in verse 49, the house immediately collapsed. All those steps that were skipped turned out to be essential for the long-term stability of this house. And the result of skipping steps leads to the house being destroyed. And if you notice, I think Jesus sets up an intentional contrast with how he describes these two houses. Like I mentioned, with the first house, he spends a lot more time describing the digging down and building a foundation and all of that. And then when he gets to the storm, there's not a whole lot to report. With the second house, he doesn't say very much about the construction, that it just got put together. And then he spends a lot more time describing its, its collapse. And I think that's intentional. For the one that spends time to dig deep, even if it's not as, as speedy or efficient, the payoff is the avoidance of destruction. And if you also notice, the floodwaters come for both. The preparation in the building of the first house did not save the first builder of the home for, from the storms of life. It simply provided the equipment to be able to withstand the storms when they came. Digging deep provided the means of making it through the difficulties of the storm. And we could stop at this point and make a comment on how this is a, this is a parable about the value of hard work. And out of context, that would maybe make sense. That, you know, those who go the extra mile in their work, they're rewarded in the long run. And that wouldn't necessarily be bad. I think there's value to a good work ethic. I think you can prove that biblically, but that's a sermon for another day. Remember where we are in the story of Jesus. Jesus has just laid out, as fully as he ever does, who he is, what this kingdom is that he has come to establish and how to be a part of it. And he, he is calling those listening to him to be a part of this vision that he has just cast. The message of Jesus requires us to do something in light of what he has shown us. It's not a parable about work ethic. It's not a parable about being prepared for hard times in life. It is about dealing with Jesus and allowing his teachings to inform how we view ourselves and how we view our world. What Jesus lays out in this parable is that there are only two options, either listening to what he has to say and being transformed by it, or rejecting what he says, not allowing it to change us, and the end result being destruction. There is not a third way laid out. Not responding is a response. Jesus forces us to deal what he has to say, and he will not allow us to simply remain 
neutral. And that might sound overbearing or or bold to claim, but it stems from the identity of who Jesus is. And Jesus is both our Savior and our Lord. He is both of those things equally, and we should not minimize one for the sake of the other. He is absolutely our Savior. We were dead in our sins. There was nothing we could do about that situation on our own. Our only hope was that Jesus would come and would save us in his death and his resurrection. He is the one, he is the only one, able to redeem us out of death into life. He is our Savior and he is also our Lord. He does not simply save us out of the mess of 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 our sin and death and then send us on our way to do as we please. He does not just bring us out of the waters of baptism and hand us a get-out-of-hell-free card and say, I'll see you down the road. He calls us out of death and into life continually so that we might grow into his likeness. He calls us to build everything we are upon him so that we might experience true life. Anything short of acknowledging Jesus as both Savior and Lord, as both the one who saves me from my sin and also the one who sets the course for every part of my existence, will end in our destruction. But when we find both of those things in him, we find life that will sustain us. The degree to which we trust Jesus as both our Savior and Lord is revealed when the storms of life come. I remember once I was asked what my, what my dominant foot was, and I had no idea. I'd never thought about that before. And so the person asked me, he said, well, turn around. And I was like, oh, okay, I don't know what that means. And as I turned around, they shoved me in the back. And when I did, I fell forward like that. And he said, well, your dominant foot's your right foot. And there's something similar going on here as the storms of life reveal the extent to which our lives are built upon the foundation of the teachings of Jesus. Jesus does not say in this parable that the wise man built his house on the rock and therefore no storms ever came on his house. He does not say the foolish man built, did not build his house on a firm foundation, so God made sure to send an extra strong storm on them to teach them a lesson. He says that the storms come for both. The person who is grounded in the teachings of Jesus are, is just as likely to experience difficulties as the person who is not, and it is in those moments that it is revealed what our foundation is built upon. And grounding ourselves in Jesus equips us to be able to navigate the storms of life well. Jesus does not say that if you come to him, all your problems will go away. He says if you give him the priority in life that he is worthy of, you will grow into the kind of person who is not destroyed by the storms of life. And he also says that if we do not, that if we either reject him completely or if we just come to him when we need something when we need something from him and just kind of keep him on the periphery, we will be destroyed when the storms come. So if you're in the middle of a storm this morning, I'm not trying to beat you over the head and say that if things are hard, that it's just because you don't love Jesus enough. But I am suggesting that it's worth pausing to ask us if we are as grounded in Jesus as he has called us to be. If you've never had a relationship with Jesus, I'm not here to exploit your misery like a used car salesman, but I would suggest that grounding yourself in Jesus is the only way to truly and fully make it through the storms of life in a way that makes you stronger than you were before and makes you more fully into who you were created to be. 
If you've been walking with Jesus and it doesn't seem to be making a difference through whatever you're going through right now, I'm not suggesting you're a bad person and maybe you need to question if you've ever trusted in Jesus at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I would challenge you to regularly remind yourself of the truths of the gospel. To remind yourself that Jesus is both Savior and Lord. To remind yourself that he has come to bring us out of sin and death and calls us to trust in him every day of our lives so that we might be fully made into what he's created us to be. Jesus is both Savior and Lord. And he demonstrates that at his resurrection. If Jesus truly rose from the dead, he is worthy to be our Savior and our Lord. He is worthy for us to center everything that we are around him. And he is worthy to be our foundation. I was having a kind of a hard time this week trying to figure out how to really illustrate what it means to uh, make Jesus our foundation beyond just saying that one sentence over and over again. And so I, I texted my dad. Because my dad was a carpenter for many years. I, I asked him, I told him what passage of Scripture I was going to be preaching on. Just told him to read it and text me any thoughts he might have. And he pointed out a lot of helpful things. At one point I thought to myself, I should just throw my sermon out and make him preach, but it didn't seem all that, all that feasible. But he showed me a lot of things that are helpful to think through what Jesus is getting at in these verses. As Jesus makes clear here, a foundation is important. I mentioned earlier that the process of my parents building the house they currently lived in, live in, and he told me I had never known this, that actually part of the reason that they went about building a new house was because the foundation of the house we were living in at that time was crumbling. And there was not, the, the only way to fix it was to move out. Foundations are important. He said, foundations aren't glamorous. He said, it's far more exciting to be hanging and putting in a giant glass window. No one ever looks at a building and the first thing they notice is, wow, that building has an incredible foundation. But without that foundation, nothing else matters. He said putting down a foundation is difficult work. Sometimes you have to dig down very deep, like Jesus says in these verses, to find something solid you can build upon. And that's hard and it's not always fun, but it is far easier to do that on the front end than to have to go back in and fix it later. And I think so many of those things can also be said about how we respond to the teachings of Jesus. It might not always be the most exciting, but it is necessary, it's essential, and we need it if we are to navigate this life well. Because Jesus is both our Savior and our Lord, He is worthy to be our foundation. And when we build ourselves on Him, we will find with him as he has created us to live. And that's possible because of his death and resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus transforms how we navigate all things in life. Being built upon the foundation that Jesus is alive transforms everything about our life. Transforms how we navigate COVID, how we navigate a world that is politically divided, how we navigate inflation, how we navigate bitterness in our own hearts, how we navigate loved ones walking away from the faith, how we navigate broken marriages, how we navigate medical diagnoses, how we navigate even death itself. So wherever you are this morning, build yourself on Jesus so that life in him might be what sustains you through the storm.
whatever the storm may be, whenever the storm may come. If he is not your foundation, dig down deep and find him, even if that happens today. If he is your foundation, continue to seek his heart so that you might be built up into life with him so that he might sustain you through the storms. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for sending your Son, who has come to be both our Savior and our Lord. That you do not leave us when we had run away from you, but you sent Jesus so that we might have life. And that he has brought us his teaching, his kingdom, so that we might know what we, the life we were created to live as your people. Father, we ask that we would respond to both pieces of Jesus' identity this morning, that we would celebrate, acknowledge, rejoice in what he has done as our Savior to bring us into life with him, and at the same time, rejoice and celebrate in what he has done as our Lord, as he's called us into life with him. Father, give us wisdom, give us strength, give us your spirit as individuals and as your people, that wherever we might be this morning, that we might trust in you more deeply, that you might build us up upon the foundation of your Son so that we might have life with you now and in life to come. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.